Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. Marcus Peter here, filling in for Al Cresta on this Thursday afternoon. In last week's Gospel, we witnessed what was perhaps one of the strongest biblical narrative evidences for the establishment of papal authority upon Peter. Jesus tells Peter that he is the rock upon which Christ would build the church. This Sunday, we continue that narrative from the same chapter in Matthew, just a few verses later, where Jesus looks at Peter and declares, Get behind me, Satan. Why the change? We'll be talking about this with Peggy Stanton. Peggy is the author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta. She was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent, and she's hosted many programs on Ave Maria Radio, including Malta Minute with the Catechism, and her first book was The Daniel Dilemma, The Moral Man in the Public Arena, and her newest book is The Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. Peggy, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Marcus. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And it's great to hear from you. So, uh, we're ready to go into the reading. Would you like if I start it? Yes, please. So, this is taken from Matthew 16, verses 21 to 27. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed on the third day and be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay all according to his conduct. So that, that's the narrative that we're talking about this week. And uh, Peggy, you, you've got some resources here to talk about. Uh, help, help us understand what's going on. What, do, what do some of your notes say about what's going on here? Because there really is a shift in how Jesus talks to Peter. It's amazing, <laughs> really. Uh, um, before I uh, researched it, I, I kept thinking to myself, Lord, <laughs> and asking the Lord, Lord, uh, you you just handed the uh, papal authority to Peter, and then he want, only wants to save your life, and you <laughs> call him Satan. <laughs> um, and after I read through this, and we can talk after I... Th- these are all commentaries from the Catechism mm-hmm. cited by the Didache Bible mm-hmm. as um, resources to understand this gospel from the Catechism. So after I go through those, maybe we can uh, discuss it a little bit. Sure thing, yeah. <laughs> See what, you, what uh, comes to you, your own reflection, all right? Mm-hmm. Okay, paragraph 440 Jesus accepted Peter's profession of faith, which acknowledged him to be the Messiah, by announcing the imminent passion of the Son of Man. He unveiled the authentic content of his messianic kingship, both in the transcendent identity of the Son of Man, who came down from heaven, and in his redemptive mission as the suffering servant, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hence, the true meaning of his kingship is revealed only when he is raised on the cross. 
Only after his resurrection will Peter be able to proclaim Jesus' messianic kingship to the people of God when he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Paragraph 540 in the Catechism says, Jesus' temptation reveals the way in which the Son of God is Messiah, contrary to the way Satan proposes to him. And I think there's a clue there, Marcus, in Mm -hmm. that line as to why Jesus uses that term Mm -hmm. and the way men wish to attribute to him. This is why Christ vanquished the tempter for us. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sinning. By the solemn 40 days of Lent, the church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. Then paragraph 554 Mm -hmm. reads, From the day... Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Master begins to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Of course, we see how Peter scorns this prediction, and neither do the other apostles really understand it any better than he does. Paragraph 607 says, The desire to embrace his his Father's plan of redeeming love inspires Jesus' whole life, for his redemptive passion was the very reason for his incarnation. And so he asks, And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. And again, Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? From the cross, he says, just before it's finished, he says, I thirst. Paragraph 618 says, The cross is the unique sacrifice of Christ, who is the one mediator between God and men. Mm-hmm. But because in his incarnate divine person, He has in some way united himself to every man. The possibility of being made partners in a way known only to God in the Paschal Mystery is offered to all men and women. He calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. For he also suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we should follow in his steps. In fact, Jesus desires to associate with his redeeming sacrifice those who were to be its first beneficiaries. And, of course, we see this is achieved supremely, the Catechism says, in Mm -hmm. the case of his mother, Mm who is associated more intimately than any other person in the mystery of his redemptive suffering. Right. Um, and then uh, we go, you know, uh, typical of the Lord, he can pack so much into one little paragraph. Oh, gosh, yes. Or even you one know. sentence, just that one rebuke to Peter. Yeah, I know. There's the rebuke. 
then there's the um, the explanation of his mission, and then mm-hmm. there's the um, uh, talking about what the the last judgment is going to be like. So it's amazing. He says, "Family," talking about the vocation that we have to him. Mm-hmm. He says, "Family ties are important, but not absolute." just as the child grows to maturity and human and spiritual autonomy. So his unique vocation, which comes from God, asserts itself more clearly and forcefully. Parents should respect this call and encourage their children to follow it. They must be convinced that the first vocation of the Christian is to follow Jesus. Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a that's a really tough one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it truly is. And uh, finally, the paragraph 1038 uh, talks about the resurrection of all the dead, which our Lord mentions in this par- this gospel. Uh, which will be of both the just and the unjust, will precede the last judgment. This will be the hour when all who are in the tombs will hear the Son of Man's voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Then Christ will come, as he said, in his glory and all the angels with him. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at the left, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Right. (laughs) So... Uh, before we go into uh, Prof. John Bergsma's commentary, right, right. let's uh, let, let's dive into these paragraphs. Yeah. Like you mentioned, they're tremendously rich. Uh, yeah. but arguably, everyone listening is is wondering the same question that you and I are talking about, which mm-hmm. is just last week Jesus calls Peter the rock, right. and then nary a couple of verses later. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's a pretty powerful rebuke. So, yeah, uh, so based on your reading, uh, what are we to understand from this? You know what jumped out at me was that paragraph 540 where it says, Jesus' temptation reveals the way in which the Son of God, Messiah, contrary to the way Satan proposes to him mm-hmm. and the way men wish to attribute it to him. Uh, I, I think, finally that came to me, well, it, it, Jesus was was so harsh because... He felt the te- temptation really came from Satan. He was just using Peter's mouth. <laughs> right, know. right. I, I mean, that's that's uh, not definitive. That's Peggy's <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> and it's it's. <laughs> what as, do you think? Well, it's as as good a one as any because the ch- the church fathers posit something to that effect. Uh, you know, Hil- Hilary of Poitiers, for example, he talks about exactly that that. Uh, Peter had made this glorious declaration of Christ, 
Right. And then a couple of verses later, he says this. And there's a kind of historical context behind why you, you and I both know this. The Israelites were waiting for the Christos, the anointed one. And mm-hmm. from everything they understood, albeit poorly, they thought the Christos, the son of David, was going to come to reestablish the socio-political military kingdom right. of David. Right. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified and die, that's the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that he's, that's his first prediction of his death. He makes three subsequently. Right. Uh, and uh, when, he, when he does that, well, it, it throws everyone off. If you're the Christ, you're supposed to overthrow the Romans <laughs> yeah, right. and reestablish the political kingdom. <laughs> yeah. What are you going and dying under them for? <laughs> Can you imagine President Trump saying... <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, and no, I shouldn't laugh at that. That's awful. But but you're completely right. You're completely right. Someone who's who's supposed to be the rising ruler saying, "No, I'm 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 going to die, and that's how I'm going to win." Yeah. So so well, you maybe be- maybe Trump should say, "I'm going to prison," and this is a very good idea. I'm oh, following gosh. Christ. <laughs> So, so that's why you're completely right that the way that we want things, the way that Satan wants things, is definitely mm-hmm. not the way Jesus wants things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, I guess we have to say that's not the way the Father wanted it. Yep. Although, really, I shouldn't say unfortunately because it, truly, and I think we've talked about this before, there is no other way. Uh, that that Christ could have proved to his creatures how much he loves us. Mm. Uh, he, that he could have proved his power and his uh, right. magnificence and his uh, kingship, kingship right. easily by, by, by being extremely powerful. But proving but his love. But he could never have shown his love. Yeah, you're completely right, Peggy. And that's, that's an extremely profound place for us to stop here. We're talking to Peggy Stanton, uh, no stranger to this program, author from the White House to the White Cross, Dame of the Order of Malta, and Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.